everyone, and welcome to Captive Audience. I am your host, Kelly, back from a how many month long break? Five, six months long break um, of recording. Um, but we're here today with a really, really special episode uh, talking about a show that I just did. Um, and this podcast, we have two guests, which I'm so excited about. But my editor, which is also me, is not maybe that excited about. Um, but we have my two friends, Kevin and Aaron. Aaron, you may remember from uh, Among the Among the Dead pod- podcast, which is the second episode. Um, and a, a new friend, Kevin. Well, from, an old friend, but an, oh, well, new like, to the podcast. New to yes. the podcast, yes. So I'm going to let him and Aaron reintroduce and introduce themselves. But... Um, I would just like to hear a little bit about uh, what they do and then also their previous experience with musical theater or theater or anything like that. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm an architect currently. I graduated with both Kelly and Erin. So my experience from theater in high school, I set designs multiple productions, including the Odyssey, and I also acted in a very small one act. I've also seen uh, Kinky Boots and Wicked on Broadway and some other local productions, but that's pretty much my uh, experience with theater before this show. Uh, Definitely my first sort of experimental theater experience. And hello again, it's me, Erin. I think you've heard my history before. I had very minimal exposure to theater growing up I admired theater from afar, but was really, like, kind of too afraid to really approach it head-on. And I got to see my first major production, um, Phantom of the Opera, at Broadway during my freshman year of college. And I've seen a couple local productions since then, one of them being Among the Dead, as well as a couple others, and including the one we're about to talk about today. And I still work at my architecture firm, and, yeah, I'm just an architect who's you're talking with our friends who loves theater. Um, and I just wanted to I just wanted to remind uh, kind of everybody about my experience with theater because I keep forgetting to talk about my experience with theater. Um, my experience with theater is uh, I did theater at a very early age. Uh, I was always interested in Broadway musicals. I've seen a Broadway show basically every year since I was 10, uh, one show a year for my birthday. Um, up until about 21, and then after 21, I started learning about things like lotteries and things like uh, like the, the, the Today Ticket app, um, and I've been able to see shows, luckily, for a lot cheaper um, and been able to enjoy a lot more shows. I've also been enjoying a lot more regional shows, which is kind of like this, the reason for this podcast is to talk about a lot of the regional theater, specifically in Philadelphia, where all three of us, uh, we all live here now. Kevin moved here. Or he lives in New Jersey, but it's fine. He's from Philly. He can say he's from Philly. She said it. <laughs> but today I wanted to talk about a show that I did with um, Pig Iron Theater Company, uh, specifically Mimi Lien. Uh, you may know Mimi Lien from her designs in Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, I would say is probably the biggest one, which was on Broadway, and she won a Tony Award for that. Um Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different because I actually was able to work on it and then I was able, Kevin and Aaron were both able to see it. So uh, I would, 
I love hearing their first reactions because uh, I am aware of everything that almost ev basically everything that went behind the scenes um, because I was in charge of either making props or uh, fixing pieces to the walls of, you know, the set. And I say set in air quotes um, because sometimes it feels more like a whole environment than it does and just like a simple set piece. Um, but I would first just like love to hear your first impressions of the show. Um, and we'll start with Kevin. So I was really interested to see this show um, because of its description about uh, urban infrastructure um, and, and um, subterranean infrastructure and how it sort of impacts our environment. And when the show first started, there was the there was a scene with a contrast between light and dark. And I didn't quite understand what was going on. And I was sort of wondering, well, it's got to be related in some way to this urban infrastructure that's sort of listed in the, you know, program description. And then when that first segment had finished and it went into the second part where there were humans having interactions in this sort of world that was sort of ours and sort of not ours. Um, it became a little clearer how it related to the urban and subterranean infrastructure. My, my general reactions were a little bit of confusion, um, if we're being honest, uh, but it was also I felt like I was engrossed um, in the environments that were being created uh, because I was trying to figure out what it was that was going on and and what kind of a statement it was making about our, our urban infrastructure. So I, I overall enjoyed it, although I can't say that I fully understood the entire thing, um, but that would have to be my, my sort of initial reaction. I do want to mention before Aaron goes, the show is called Superterranean, and I'm not sure if I said the title. No, I don't think so. <laughs> so the show is Superterranean, and it was in the Fringe Festival um, from uh, for two weeks, from September 4th to September 15th, I believe. Um, and I just wanted to say the name before, before we get into Aaron's answer. Yeah. Aaron? So I, this was my first experimental show, go like going in. And I think I'm used to seeing shows that have a very clear and concise idea of what the plot, like a plot. It's driven by a plot. And in this case, I don't think there's really a plot to be had. It's more a show that brings out feelings you would experience as an audience. And for every person, that might be individual. And... I agree with Kevin. I don't understand all the components, but in some ways that also made me more invested in wanting to learn more about it. So I found the show very interesting. And I think it was something that needs to really like be like studied or looked at or something, but I enjoyed it overall. I, w I will say uh, real fast that we are all um, we are all architects. So Kevin mentioned we all graduated because um, I didn't say that I graduated from architecture school. I just started talking about my love of musical theater, which is 
an accurate representation of how I really was in architecture school, which is I just talked about musical theater all the time. That's about right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I wanted to emphasize that. So I really, uh, and I should also say that Mimi Lien was a architect before. Who directed the, directed the show. She's the creator of the show the and the creator. set designer. She's not the director. Oh. The director is Dan Rothenberg. That's okay. Mobby. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, I was really, so the whole show really came from a perspective of, of infrastructure, which was from Mimi's love of, um, I believe the quote is, when I see a huge refinery with its vast and intricate system of metal pipes, tanks, catwalks, I feel inexplicably emotional. Why do these structures evoke in my body such a deep-seated feeling of pleasure and despair? And that's a really good representation of what she kind of thinks of this project and what she was feeling when she, yeah. she was creating it. But um, what I would like to hear about is specifically from the both of you, how, how did being an architect affect the way that you approached it? And what did you, and what did you think about um, kind of the approach to the to the show so there were a few different sets um the first one was sort of detached from the remainder um but then they sort of morphed and grew into each other from there on and i felt like we were looking at a series of experiences and a series of environments that were sort of one at a time and they grew into each other as the show went on from an architectural perspective i think it's really interesting because we were viewers of those environments and those experiences and it almost reminded me of the sort of architectural phenomenon of ruin porn you will have to put a disclaimer <laughs> in this episode but um ruin porn you know as mimi sort of um, alludes to in that quote is going to look at some some sort of an environment or a structure that is falling apart or in disrepair and it gives you some sort of sense of despair but also it's really interesting and you're engrossed by it and I feel like as we watch these series of environments and encounters between the characters play out I got a lot of that sort of weird feeling of like what's going on and and the dynamics between the characters and the set but then also I was really engrossed in it and it was it became sort of um, interesting to me to to be this outsider in that world yeah and I think there was a very I would if I had to describe the overall feeling of the show it's visceral yeah because you're just there and I was thinking because the first set is very localized and it's like compact and constricted compared to the like following sets. And it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of like this um, theme, which we've heard so much in architecture school, like contraction, then expansion. And um, I think in some ways it kind of ties to the fact that things like refineries can be absolutely massive but they can also have like these really small pieces and components to it and in some ways it also reminded me of the stories i would hear about my uncle who worked at bethlehem steel and he talked about working with these giant like barrels and like big um what's the a smelting like a smelting yeah, yeah, yeah. 
furnace. Uh, yeah. Yes, a, a furnace. And talking about these giant tubs that would house all of this molten steel. And those, and those were like 40 feet tall. And the chains for those things were like as large as a person. And there was like this utter disconnect between like real scale. And it was even reflected in the fact that my uncle had what he called his steelworker voice, which was exceptionally loud. And I've heard it once, it hurts your ears because you have to like work over all of the extraneous noise just from the sheer mass of everything. And yeah. I think that was very well executed with this show because you really got that sense of scale yeah. and size. I was just gonna say that. I think that the scale um, is really interesting. I think uh, if we talk about a little bit um, you may notice that we didn't talk about a plot. It's because there isn't really a plot. Any plot that you quote unquote come up with is 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 right. I went to a podcast. Um, yes, I went to my own. I went to a podcast about my own show, um, and I sat in this podcast, and it was with two of the cast members and Dan. Um, and it was with my dad. My dad wanted to go, so my dad was there. Um, and they were talking. They were uh, talking about the show. And at the end, they opened it up for questions. Uh, and this one woman went. There's a scene where uh, one of the cast members, uh, Sauri, um, is kind of standing there with. Uh, uh, it is basically a plunger with a paint mixer. And it's on her stomach, and then she's laughing, and you don't know whether she's in pain or not. And somebody in the audience asked, is she in pain, or is she just laughing really hard, and it just sounds like she's in pain? Like, or is she actually physically hurting right now? Is she recharging? Is it a battery? Is she like a battery? Uh, and the director kind of just went, yes. And that was his answer, because... The point of the show is it, for it to be interpreted in kind of however the way that you would like it to. Um, the draw for it, I think, is just how much of a of a of a budget it had. It won it won itself a lot of um, grants, and of course, Mimi has. I mean, I'm not sure. I can't speak to Mimi, but she did win a MacArthur grant, and that also helped a lot, and that gave her a decent amount of money, but. The show it was is very well produced, um, and I wanted to talk to the fact that this this woman who was asking these questions was kind of looking for an answer when there were no answers. But speaking about a narrative, um, I'll tell you about what I thought. But I would like to hear if you guys and like, is there a narrative that you pull from it? Like any kind of narrative. I'll give you the one that I thought it was. So this uh, uh, woman, Mel played by Mel, I believe it's pronounced Prodman, um, is basically a present. So there are three sets. So there are three parts. There are three different sets. Um, and that's basically how we distinguish between each part in the show. Um, and Mel is in every single part. She's the only person whose face is basically revealed in every single part. Um, in the first part, um, it's like these black creatures and these white creatures and they never show their faces. Their point is never just, if you've seen their faces, you, then, I mean, that is, I can definitively say you're not supposed to see their faces. In the second part, she had uh, all these solos when she was wearing her pink fur coat, um, and she was having trouble with, you know, whatever you interpret it being. 
who's having some problems well, with her it, it, nerves, it with her organs. Like an external bladder to I was going to say, it looked like a colostomy bag. Yeah. yeah. I'm not quite sure. Eventually, she ripped it off. Yeah. yeah. That looked painful. Yeah. Um, well, act, well acted on Well part. acted. <laughs> yes. And then, and then uh, in terms of the last part, she has this love story um, with a man, and his name is Tony Torn. Uh, and she kind of has like this blind love story with him, which is um, the kind of her three parts. So I always thought that the story was um, centered around her. And that's what I thought the show was about, was about her progression kind of through these three stages. And that's how I felt about it. Uh, do you guys have any? I would love to hear what you guys thought of the narrative or if you pulled anything out of it. Maybe what the spaces reminded you of. You can also talk about that. So my short answer is no. My longer answer is that I feel like the narrative may have been intentionally simplistic to allow us as the viewer to interpret what we thought it might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was evidenced in part by the repetition of a lot of the show. Um in the, the first set with the sort of black and white rooms or pipes, the light alternates between both of them and it's sort of the same thing growing and twisting and floating every single time. In the second part, it's almost like they're in some sort of a weird locker room and and for the most part, with, with one or two exceptions, it's sort of just the same series of things happening everybody has some sort of body part on display then there's a time where they all are running um in just in circles around the center um element of the of the set and then at the end they're all pretty much doing the same exact thing to to uh interact with this the series of sets that sort of stretches back into almost forever. And I feel like the length of time that each of those things took up enables you to really think about what's actually going on and not just blow by onto this to the next plot moment or plot point. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm very glad that the sets uh, were very um, set and it was basically a bunch of different things that kind of happened in them. Mm-hmm. That is something that I really enjoy. So I can give you the timestamps. So part one is 14 minutes. Part two is around 35 to 40 minutes. And part three is around seven to 10 minutes, I would say. Um, I know that because my primary job on the project was to video document uh, everything that we did. And because the story was basically um, brought up from improv into skits, into refinement, um, and then kind of put together as a series. I can tell you that there were over 550 video diaries that I personally took for this project. And that's not counting. Uh, I was not at their workshop in City Tech for a week. And I was not also at a different uh, they've had this, this has been a project for two years or so. So anything that they've done in those previous workshops, I have also not been there to take the video diaries. Uh, but the video, the video diarying, uh, is expense is, is extensive. Um, I should say and highly detailed. 
I do take I do take pride in it because I mainly did it, especially in the last seven weeks or so uh, leading up to the show. I did that all myself um, with some help from the I was basically a PA. So from the other PAs also helped if I was doing something else. But I mainly it was my responsibility to do all of that. So, Aaron, what did you think about the net? Did you did you notice any common strings or anything? Or? Um. If I were to say I kind of drew some sort of narrative from it, I felt like because I I was like watching a lot of the um, humans interactions, it was all they were kind of very removed from each other, except in small instances. And there was this sense of detachment, both from the people themselves, as well as sometimes even the machinery around them. But there was also like this sense that they knew what to do with with the machines because they were already posed around what was I think you called it the washing machine was that big centerpiece in the big two. the big centerpiece yeah uh, we call that the spa okay the spa. well the section is the spa there mm-hmm. oh boy there are a bunch of different naming conventions for okay. all of them because it got confusing so you have yeah. like you have the shaft. Okay. With the columns you've looked at, and I don't even remember okay. what they were because well, they were so specific. But I call that part, I call it, and the part that it is in, the spa. Okay. So for clarification, just to like keep it cohesive, we'll call it the spa. Yeah. And so in the spa segment, I like was always watching the people, and they, there was like this kind of detachment from both the machinery itself as well as the other people, unless there was like an explicit interaction between each other. And there were moments where y- you wouldn't really know what was happening. And then you'd see people suddenly move and they'd pose next to the spa, either in some way, like to like steam their leg. Or there was the one person who like leaned in head first and got their whole head steamed. And there was just very interesting interactions that to me felt like, it made me question why are they doing this? It's like, what is their point? What's their motivation? And it was like a sense of maybe like slight dependence. There was, because there's like that sort of underlying sense, I feel like that, like detachment yet dependence on these things that people, we as an audience don't really know what they're serving as, but obviously the actors who are portraying it in the, in the show, they they like have some knowledge that we don't that we might infer from watching them and from my experience it was just kind of like this detached yet kind of automatic reaction like actions from people if that makes sense so while we're on the topic of um um, evolution uh i want to talk about one of my favorite things about it which was getting to be in the workshop process um, and seeing the evolution of uh, all the pieces to this show. Um, really quickly, one of the segments that was my absolute favorite segment that they got rid of um, was uh, from a, an open canvas, which is something that they do where we just they just improvise. Um, and ba- it, it can get really funny at times where um, at some points, uh, Dan, who's the director, will sit there and him and Mimi will talk basically while they improv. And then Dan may say something like, okay, that was really, that was good. Uh, okay, everybody off except for Jen. And then Jen would keep doing whatever Jen was doing. 
and then she would continue on. And then as she acted, people would come back in. So one of those segments, I don't know if it was an open canvas or was a, if it was a straight improv where basically they would split into groups and then they'd get 10 minutes to devise. But one of my favorite pieces was um, at the time it was Chelsea, who was the blonde girl with the with the, uh, the, one that threw the up. short. Yeah, she threw <laughs> yeah, up. That one. Not really. She didn't really throw up. Well, no, it was um, like spaghettios or something. It was it was apples and water. I was about to say it looked like PJ. It was yeah. apples and water. Um, and her and uh, Evelyn Chen, who was the she was the Asian uh, girl with the longer hair. Or was it Sauri? It might have been Sauri. Sauri had the shorter hair, and she was the one who had the belly plunger. The short way of what I call that. Got it. Yeah. So they had a segment where we originally blew up a ton of trash bags, like into like, you know, the thing that, you know, you as a small child have always wanted to do, which is just blow it up into a balloon, tie it up and then hit it around a little bit. And that was something that they did. And it was called volleyball. Um, and they basically were playing, quote unquote, volleyball over the, the fluorescents that were hanging down. Um, and it was one of my favorite segments because I think it really got to show the space of the room because they would just like keep hitting it it was kind of like a game of like keep it in the air if it touches the ground you lose and it was very casual in a very weird space um and that segment eventually dropped chelsea and put evelyn into it then later they went from that to um not even having the volleyball and they kind of pantomimed kind of just running around and then that turned into them pushing the fluorescence and that's what made it into the third part that was i think my favorite yeah scene. the scene uh where i don't even know who was anymore i think it was just was it and and then actually i don't even think is there a point that you remember where evelyn and Sauri and chelsea are just running around pushing fluorescence it should have been everybody. before before Mel yeah. comes out um, the, with Tony. In yeah. my show, everybody, before the set opened up right. into the third set, right. there were four fluorescents that yes. dropped down, or two yes. that dropped down. Uh-huh. And nobody, I don't remember if that they, was is that snake dance they were laying on top of each they other. were laying yeah, yeah. that's other. snake dance that's something else right no but nobody um, pushed any lights until in, the end scene until the end at scene. least in the so show i lied to. they took that out <clears throat> yeah mine had the snake dance and then i think two people wound up pushing fluorescence yeah, there's, before everybody yeah. else started yeah that's um so i guess i guess they took it out there was a certain point where i started uh working behind stage as the crew and I didn't take videos anymore or rather I left it to the stage manager. I would just set up the camera and then the stage manager would press the record button um, and then it would just take it out at the end of the day and upload it. So I must have missed that. That means that they took that segment out entirely, which is is which was one of my favorite scenes. Although one of my other favorite the thing that I, I think that they translated to, which is kind of the joy of pushing the fluorescence uh, is they translated it to the dances that Chelsea and uh, Evelyn do under the lights in the end. It's in juxtaposition to the Mel Tony thing. And I don't know if you guys, you may not have caught it. There might've been a column in front of you, but you may have caught it. And it's Chelsea and Evelyn dancing in the back. Yeah. And then they melt, as they say, around the column mm -hmm. and then they just leave. Um, but that's that's what they did. And that's um, that's one of my favorite segments because I'm on that side of the stage at the end of the show. And the third part is basically all of us, just all the PAs and all the crews sitting around because 
for we do stuff in part two and we do stuff in part one but in part three it's completely open so it's actually really funny if you're a crew you have to go into a column and just stay there for the rest of the show and that's kind of how that works so mm-hmm. i get to see that part in part three and that's one of my favorite that was one of my favorite parts about the show that i saw every night was chelsea and uh evelyn doing that dance and that was all improvised there's no it's based around a cor- a piece of choreography but it's not a piece of it's improvised dance which is really nice but kevin you had a question before we cut off for me to sneeze. You didn't hear it because of movie magic, but Kevin, what was the... So my question goes back to part two. Right. Um, and I thought I got it for a little while, and then I realized I didn't have it. Um, so <laughs> the costuming, Yeah. each person, I think save one, has a transparent piece of vinyl or something sewn into their costume such that it is highlighting one part of their body. So one of the characters, it was sort of um, his lower back, like where his kidney would be. Somebody else, it was pretty much centered on her stomach. There was one character who it was just her vagina. Um, and I'm, I thought I understood that that was sort of the area that they were steaming in the spa but then it stopped following that logic and so i lost any sense of what that was about and i don't know if there is an answer for that but uh, that was sort of one of my big overarching questions yeah so there is no answer to that question um the there is no there is no reason that they are there the point is that there were, it had to be, it wanted you, it wanted to evoke the feeling. So it wanted you to kind of make a connection between the, the whole, the hole or the, vi- uh, the vinyl uh, window basically is how they were into in the show. I think it's important to note like the terms that they were referred to, because maybe it'll give a little hint to what it was in the show. We kind of referred them to as windows and like Kevin said, it was revealing like a body part, but that was basically all they were for. And you could interpret it like you wanted to interpret it. For example, the lady before asked if Sauri, and she's the one specifically who had the one on the belly, um, if it, you know, if that was uh, a, a recharge port. Um, somebody else asked mm-hmm. if it was like uh, just like you know, at, at, uh, like, I don't know, something else. There was a skit that we had that we took out that was actually addressing the fact that they had that, and then we took it out. Um, but I, I think something to note really specifically is that it was ultimately Dan and Mimi's vision. Um, so I'm sure that whatever they have in their head is probably closest to what it is, but we will probably never know what they intended. I th- it was, uh, I can say that it was so specific that at one point Mimi needed the circle on Sauri's uh, belly's costume to be moved up about five inches. And we almost had to make a new costume because specifically we needed it in just the right spot. So that's something that's really interesting about um, the process is how specific and detailed that we were getting. Um, specifically to make to invoke and make you feel the feelings that you're that you're talking about. Um, but my answer to your question is that there is no answer to my question. There is no answer to your question. It's it's really nice that you um, interpret it that the the way that you interpret. It. 
I really appreciate that everybody has different answers. Yeah. And I kind of understand the joy that Mimi and Dan get from hearing everybody's different theories. Because it really is a really, uh, it's it's kind of like a way that you mm-hmm. you think, you that you yourself um, have interpreted it. I really appreciate yeah. that. Well, I like that you, I appreciate that you were involved in the production because you can give us it, like all the little like keywords because none of this was inferred from the show. Like if I didn't know that those little like windows, as you call them, were called windows. So it's like. Okay, now what can a window infer? Yeah, and and I, I hope that the context that I give you just makes you have even more questions. That just uh, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the, the technical... Once you said window, I was like, maybe it's maybe it's a part of their body that's like afflicted by something. That's what I had thought during yeah. the show, but but then... And I thought that maybe... And, and again, I think it, it just plays on that whole desire to create, create a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought something was... was was wrong with whatever part was being sort of revealed by the window and that the spa that they were in when the steam came out was was the some sort of a treatment or remedy or something but then they stopped just treating yeah they like deviated exactly and somebody stuck his head in and there was so so it it stopped being a Mm -hmm. one-to-one relationship and then uh, then the character, and you had mentioned your name before, and, and I've forgotten, but she had this sort of external bladder. Um, Mel. Mel, and she ha- and she was the only one that did not have a costume with one of these windows. Instead, she, she wore a fur. She did. She did. Was did her fur coat have a window in the it? Fur coat had a window oh, on did. the back. It was oh, in the yeah, back. Yeah, and Isaac. But I was um, so focused on her external yeah. bladder, which. Yeah. I, yeah. As much as I wanted to, I couldn't take my, yeah. my eyes off of. <laughs> yeah. um, and specifically, Isaac and Evelyn, if I remember correctly, Isaac and Evelyn did not have. Isaac was the one with the with the brown hair. He did uh, not. The brown curly hair. He and then Evelyn have, was the Asian um, girl with long yeah. hair. He didn't have a window, but he had some sort of, almost like a call on his arm that he would take off, take off and put on. And then he kept sort of pressing his skin and watching, yeah. watching it. I guess bounce back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he was the one that like leaned on a booster and stuck his head in the vent. Yes, he sort of. It's went always full. it's always funny when when you when people talk about that because literally like um, I'm just gonna like do a little backstage secret. Um, Dito and Sowry, who are in the hazmat suits, who come out next. Dito is always in a hazmat suit, and they're trying to make him laugh because Isaac's head um, is lays on a stool, basically. So his one ear is on the stool, and he's looking out right right into the back. And and Dito and Sauri are there in like hazmats, nice. trying to make him laugh. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And, and it's always fun to watch to watch that part. Yeah. But, um, well, he went full. He went on. full child's pose and stuck his he, head yeah. in a vent. And yeah. Then, yeah. And then I was then I was concerned. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Well, you mentioned the hazmat suit, and that totally. I was like, once that scene came in, I was like, now what's happening? Yeah. Well, and then then, those are early. Those that was an early thing that was put into the that was. Uh, like, I, that's like one of the earliest because it also had like the Geiger it. counter noise, and I'm like, oh, right. Well, and it lended some credence to to the thought that there might be something wrong with yeah, these people, exactly. and that was what was being focused on with these organs and being treated. But then, 
there was a door and there were characters that came in and out of the door that were not just the the hazmat suit characters people were allowed to sort of come and go and so that threw me off a little bit too because i thought if there's something wrong with these people and they're infected with some sort of something and you would think i mean and there was such a repetition of these scenes right that they're doing the same thing whether whether the lights on lights off meant day in day out or scene one scene two whatever but then they were allowed to leave so I was, I was kind of, it just kind of threw me because I, I felt, I kept feeling like throughout the whole show, I was starting ex- with the exception of part one, because I, I still don't, still, still don't understand <laughs> what happened there. Um, I felt like I was, I was this close and I know you who listening can't see how close I'm, I'm, I'm miming, but this close <laughs> to figuring out the plot and yeah. then it, something happened mm-hmm. that said, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, those are the moments that kind of also make me think about how I generated this idea of dependency and detachment because these people would go in and out and they'd leave and then come back. And then maybe they like, one of the reasons I think I kind of liked the fade to black and then back in because it was almost like it, it's, it's, it's vignettes. Sitting through the 14 minutes that was part one where there was even less of a plot, and that's that's <laughs> assuming that there was a plot for parts two and three, um, for 14 minutes, I don't think that I could have stayed, I mean, I wouldn't have left, but I, I can't imagine I would have stayed focused mm. for 19 straight un- uninterrupted minutes of sitting and making small moves. Yeah. And I think the fact that there was this light click and your lights out, light click your lights yeah. back on yeah it made that vignette sort of feeling and it was easier for me to say okay regardless of if scene one and scene two are interrelated this is the end of scene one and the beginning of scene two yeah not the parts of the show i mean it, the vignettes yeah, yeah. in part two yeah. um because i think that made it more digestible for at least me if not yeah. sort of the average um yeah. Viewer. There yeah. were moments where I was watching the show and I'm like, how much time has passed? Yeah. That part one specifically was I I kept I kind of kept looking at my watch and I was like, <laughs> is this going to be the full, you know, yeah. 75 minutes? Because well, if thing. that's the case, yeah. I might have to go to the bathroom and yeah. not come yeah. back. The thing about <laughs> the thing about the that was no, that's okay. The thing about the first part that I really enjoyed was the fact that, I mean, that was uh, more choreographed in the second half. Uh, but also the fact that it switched back and forth. Um, I really enjoyed that. So there were six. So it was L1, or it was D1, then L1, then D2, then L2, and it went up to six. Um, and then after that, I came in with the dryer. Uh, it was a dryer or a washer. It was a dryer. It was a dryer. It, it doesn't a, particularly matter. It, it does not matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was like, it's, well, a, it's amazing to me how many people could not identify that thing as a dryer. Well, that so so in full disclosure, I Kelly it was a son. Kelly made myself a, and and another friend of ours or two other friends of ours sit yeah. in the front row, and Kelly was the one that was the the stage crew member pushing the dryer. 
But out of the dryer drum was coming a beam of light, which happened to hit me right in the eye. Several several beams of light. Uh, several yeah. beams of light. It blinds everyone. And it yes. blinded me. So for the entire time she wheeled it across the stage, <laughs> I couldn't see, mm-hmm. which is fine because they were moving sets at that point anyway, and they didn't want us to see, which yeah. I'm imagining is the point. Yeah. Um, but... You know that was that was sort of the reason I couldn't tell what it was because I yeah. couldn't see anything. Yeah, I think the really fun experience, and I could just like make you know we can make I could do an hour podcast myself. Uh, my favorite thing to do is, and another way that I basically gauged how fast I went because it was really hard, and I had to go very slow. And somebody on the other end was basically holding the wire because I have run over that wire so many times. And the, the one that you were telling people not to trip over at the beginning? Yeah, the one that I had to tell people not to stand on. And basically what would happen is the dryer is, it's like, you know, this big honking thing. But, like, you think that it's, like, so sturdy. But if it really ran over a cord, it would absolutely just tip over. <laughs> so, it, so I had to be really careful with it. Yeah, it looked but, like it was going to fall Yeah, off. but one of my favorite things to do was um, to push it. And then I look at the audience and then the wall above it. There's a, a dot, and you can, that's how basically I tracked how mm. how fast I was going. But one of my favorite things was watching people's reactions to the dryer. It's my favorite thing. Oh, boy, did you, you see mine? so was many. Mine. Yours was squinting. Oh, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> well, there were some people who, like, tried to, like, force themselves to keep their eyes open. Uh, and were try- basically, like they were retinas. trying to see who it was because they probably thought it was a cast member. That was, like, something that was going through their heads. Um, that's what, and that's at least what I thought the people who were like looking like physically to, like staring through the brightness. I have no idea how they were doing it. Um, no. sheer will, sheer I, will, I sheer like, will. My I fav- like my retinas. Yeah. My, my favorite, my favorite reaction ever. And I got to tell Mimi this, which was, I'm glad I got to tell Mimi because it's now my favorite story to tell. And I'll tell it on the next one too. <sighs> It is, uh, I went past this woman um, and she had sun, and you can't see me, but I'm going to demonstrate it for Kevin and Aaron. So she had sunglasses and her sunglasses were on the top of her head. And I go past her and the light goes right past her eyes and she's folding her arms and leaning back like one of those like cool girls. And she's leaning back and the dryer goes past her and she just goes... That's nice. And she just puts the sunglasses down Great. in, like, one of those moves, except um, my son, my glasses were, I was using my glasses, and are stuck to my hair. Uh, she was way smoother than that. It was, like, it was like it was up here. She was like this. And then she took her sunglasses, and she just did a boop, and they came down, and she refolded her arms. And it was my favorite reaction to that. Um, be, but besides that, there were, like, you know, a lot of people who just either tried to bear through it we're squinting. There are people who like put their arms. And yeah, like, I like did like, this. Yeah, I, 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 I like covered my eyes. Yeah, some and people was squinting yeah. when it was directly over me. And some people thought leaning it. forward would have helped them would was, figure out who it is. I was, was worried about the old people sitting next to me in the front row because you know, yeah, they don't have that many retinas left. <laughs> so I was concerned that you were going to actually fully blind them. Yeah, and with your dryer. Yeah. But but um, it's also like the stage manager who's sitting behind you guys, like my cue. Also, if I don't go slow enough, um, the timing works out is that while I am rolling the dryer across the stage, every actor and every crew member, although we did work it out that a crew member stays up there, are climbing down from the, 
the piece of set. I only um, saw um, I only saw one person's feet. So you did a pretty good job of hiding all of all of the movement. Yeah. Um yeah. backstage. That yeah. was after I regained some of my sight. Yeah. So um I wanna I'll go into the technical uh elements now. I I don't really know how much I'll be able to talk about um and I'll cut it out if we can't, if I feel at the time when I'm editing that I can't do it. You're talking about light and sound? I'm talking about light, sound, props. Mm-hmm. Got it. If gotcha. you want to know how something was made or something was designed. The one prop that didn't seem to, I would say relate, but I feel like that's not even like valid in this discussion. <laughs> but was the hamburger helper looking oven mitt? <laughs> That, oh. <laughs> that the one girl was wearing in the spa. Yeah. And then just took off and threw in a laundry basket and it never was addressed. Actually, two people wore it. Oh, well, Jen also wore it. Okay. But um, it was it was like, so so for those of you who list or are listening and obviously have not seen, seen the it, show. But I can put I can put a link in the show notes oh. um, about what it looks like. So so listing, should yeah. I describe it or you can it, describe it looks it too. like it looks like the guy the mascot from Hamburger Helper except <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of having five fingers it has three and one of them is a giant middle finger and it looks <laughs> bright blue and bright blue or green it's pink bright pink I thought my I thought the one in my show was blue no they're both pink okay. bright pink it was bright pink I know cuz I cleaned them I stand correct they're also gray pink hmm. and gray okay are the colors I think so Giant middle finger oven mitt yeah. was just there for God knows what reason. Yeah. It was also vastly out of color palette with the rest of the props. And it made me think that there must be something special about it, but God help me, I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> so the really cool thing is that those are actual things that exist. Like, we just bought them. That yeah. is an oven mitt that exists. Yeah, because so it's basically. <laughs> if I want to flip off what I'm cooking in the oven. <laughs> no, if you if you if you uh, are a lefty and a righty in the same family and you don't want to buy more than one oven mitt, can't you just flip them over? That's what I do. No, yeah, wait. Yeah, they're they're not oven mitts aren't handed. Well, sometimes they are if you have like a little heating. Uh, oh, for the oh, silicone the heat, pads. The silicone on one side. Yes. I'm thinking I can flip my oven mitt over yeah. and yeah. use it on the other no. hand. Even with um, silicone pads, I just grab it and go. Yeah, and it's like it was supposed to really just go with the costume of the spa. Okay. But it was just another element, like yeah. very much like the windows of what is yeah. it? So, I have especially regarding props. I have two questions okay. regarding. What you affectionately call the flesh sausage. Yup. And what boy. I, and what I describe My as child. the big, like, traffic inflatable trash bag black monster thing. Yeah. What are they? Okay, well you gotta we'll start with the flesh sausage. So flesh sausage, I can't I don't even know what it is. I didn't make it. So the guy who did props I'm just gonna back up because flesh sausage is it's disgusting, yes. right? It, I love well, it. Well, it's it's a um, It came out disgusting too. It came out of one of the vents and it's just like Okay, but it's yeah, it's yeah. also like that phrase yeah. is is slang for penis. <laughs> oh. So I don't know if Children there was a be running advised. joke that that was what y'all referred to it on the set and you just didn't mm. get that. No, 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 no. We just call it a flash sausage. Okay. Well, 
Yeah, it's segment. yeah. Anyway, children listening, you know, they might advised, they may have called it flesh sausage. They actually may have called it a big sausage. We'll just call it the big sausage. Not much better. So Kevin doesn't think about a penis every time <laughs> we talk about it. Honey, I always think about. Ah! Um, anyway, the, so the props artisan was Noah Meese. So he was the one who made the sausage. Um, I literally couldn't even tell you how he made it. I couldn't even tell you the materials that were in it. It was, I felt like it was a very specialized prop. Um, we actually used it in like stand-ins basically until mm-hmm. show, um, because it was, it was a very, the casing on it is very delicate. So Kevin, stop laughing. I'm not smiling. Um, well, I just thought it was weird because it like suddenly started pouring out of a vent and from the, the, the point was is that it was um well i mean i always i keep saying like the point was but it was i was gonna say yeah there's yeah, there's no point okay. um the but it was um insinuated to almost resemble a human body i got feelings i got implications well yeah. that would be you know the imp- fleshy yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and then the black uh the black cloud i'm going to explain a little more short than i normally do because um this is something i'm very proud of and i will definitely talk about on both podcasts so the black cloud was something that was also from the beginning um and i did it alone um and then the week that i wasn't there which is their city tech week they brought in shana and shana kind of looked at it a little bit but we still couldn't figure it out figure it out um, and then in the last uh, weeks of the show, not the last weeks, but the last segment, the last seven weeks before the show actually uh, aired or previewed, um, uh, we put harnesses in it. Okay. So there are harnesses, and this is like not a spoiler because whoever has to make this thing again is going to get to deal with all of these, uh, with all of the things that we had to deal with. And so it's not, you know. It, you know, it's all it's all feeling. Okay. There was um, it, it it depends on the people who you put in it to control it. Mm. Uh, it depends their movements. It depends what they need. Um, so very specifically, it was set up for three people. Um, Sauri's Sauri was in it. You may notice that I'm mentioning. I'm going to say her last name because it's important. Sauri uh, Sukata um, is a movement specialist. Okay. Um, Heavily, she is a movement specialist. And if you notice that I'm saying her name a lot, it's because that she was put in a lot of the, the movement-based segments. Um, and so she was in the Black Cloud. She was in the front of the Black Cloud, and she started out on the ground. Yeah. Um, and then Isaac was in the middle, um, and he had an extra... He had a belt as well as a harness. Um, and then Evelyn was the last person in the back, and she specializes in dance. Um, one of the things that I really liked about the cast is not only did they all look different, very different from one another, from body shapes to race, um, but they also, to me, from what I observed, they are all very good at their own thing. They all have a specialty in the field of theater or whatnot. So each cast member, um, I think, I mean, and there was a rigorous training set, a rigorous uh, audition for this show. I don't even like want to pretend like I know how they were selected, but from what I observed, they were all clearly chosen for um, different reasons. Um, I think that, I mean, Dito is like an all around, mm-hmm. honestly, Dito's an all around. Mel is an incredibly good actress. Uh, Jen has the quick witted, she is so quick witted. Jen is like my hero. 
Isaac is a is classically trained as a singer. Evelyn is a, is a magnificent dancer. Sauri's mastery has a mastery at uh, movements. Um, Tony Torn is one of the smartest people I've ever met. Uh, Chelsea is a leader, and she led a lot of the warm ups, and she led. She was Dan's right hand man, so to say, for a lot of um, like of the of organizing and getting ideas out there. And then um, Rolls not only is like a joy to be around, but he's a Shakespearean actor. And he is also similar to Tony. They're both so smart. It like kills me how smart that they both are. Um, because a lot of the show took a lot of um, devising and that all requires like the, the capacity and like the knowledge and the, I don't know, the intuitiveness that it takes to um, come up with all of this stuff. I I uh, stood in one day for roles because roles had to um, step out for a moment and I got to be roles. And I just basically, they were like, Kelly, you just need to sit in that stool for like five minutes while we do stuff around you. And I was like, that's cool. And so I sat down for five minutes and it was the hardest five minutes of my entire life. You were um, sitting still for an yeah, extended for five, period of yeah. time? And I just, like, it was so hard. It's so mm -hmm. difficult to even just sit there and, like, not want to, like, tap your feet or do anything. You know, it's it's yeah. amazing to watch None them. None of you can see this, but I, I shift in my chair all the time. I don't know how to sit in chairs. So, yeah, it's hard. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a long way of talking about the black cloud. But um, just to get back to it, so it's all a bunch of, like, individual mm -hmm. movements um, and they're all wearing black morph costumes so yeah. that you can't really see what's going on. Well, of all the things in the show, the the, the flesh sausage and... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm pretty sure it's called the fat sausage. That doesn't uh, help. Okay. It doesn't help. No. Okay. Sorry. Well, the sausage and the black cloud, of all the things in that show that made me go, what the hell? For some reason, those two stand out to me. But yeah. I like that because you got to work behind the scenes and work with the crew and everything. Yeah. That you're actually, like, telling us all these little details about it. I just appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I'd be a lot more worried that, like, people are going to get worried that I'm exposing secrets. But also, nobody listens to this podcast. So, I'm not that worried about it. If you listen uh, to this podcast, leave a note in the comments. <laughs> leave a review. Give us five stars. Thank well, you. Now that you told them what to give you, it's not a valid review. I want five. It doesn't matter. I want five stars. <laughs> Gotta work that algorithm, Kevin. It's like YouTube, except worse. So do you guys have any more? That's mine. Oh, okay. Do you guys have any more comments with the technical or? Um, what did you guys think of? Um, I'd be curious to think about what you guys thought of the sound. Oh, I was just about to bring that up. I thought the sound mixing was very good. Um, it definitely conveyed that sense of large machinery and kind of intrusive. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Yeah. It did scare me the first time. Oh, yeah. Like that first <laughs> intro where like um, the vent goes, and yes. it's like, ah. And then there, the one time that it was, it wasn't a blackout. It was colored light. Yeah. Yes. And it got real loud. Like, yeah. like no, real loud. Yeah. And <clears throat> again, somebody made me sit in the front row. Yeah. <laughs> so I was closest to it and I jumped and Ross laughed at me. But, oh, sorry. Um, I'll just. But yeah, it okay. was, uh, yeah. that was, it did convey what it needed to convey. But yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. One of, one of the real, so the sound design was done by um, Leah Bertucci. She 
basically took sounds from the environment and then mashed them up and made these collages. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite, a really funny story is, so the dryer push is you basically push the dryer and then the shaft goes with it. And then to open it up into the second section, you have this really loud moment where the sound goes and then the lights go on. And he goes, and then it yeah. goes dark again. Right. And then that everybody was, that everybody files in, and then it the lights come back up, and then they're all sitting in there. That was the when it scared me oh, because okay. because it went it went from the part one with the tubes yeah. and the and it was like virtually silent. Yeah, yeah. and it slash was just off slash off putting. Oh, it was off putting, and, and 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 the first fourteen minutes were just that, and then there was yeah. the dryer, and I was blinded for a little bit, and then so I was like caught off guard, uh -huh. and then. Oh my God! Yeah, there was a lot the of thing, sensory things. Yeah, the going thing is, on. is that I mean, the the cool thing about the sound design is that the sound designer Leah basically, her and Mimi and Dan devised that there would be speakers in the columns. So that speaker was actually it was actually meant to come from the column. Okay. Um, and the, but the other funny behind the scenes thing about that is if you actually go around to like where it is. Everyone in the cast at that point knew what it was, so like we all, as like we all know what it is. So everybody was just like this. Their Everybody's ears. Like, yeah, they're prepared. Their ears up because they're all anticipating it, and it's really funny to just watch like the all, audience. Goes, all of the nine, no, all of the nine cast members looking at the uh, monitor backstage and holding their ears and hmm. waiting for their cue to go out. I think I thought that was really cute, but um, yeah, but that was a really cool. Um, there was you know one point um, at the podcast. Uh, Dan was talking about Leah's sound design and how Leah's sound design is basically just all manipulated. Or a lot of it is manipulated bird calls. Yeah, what did you guys think of... Um, I mean, there are just so many people who had a hand in this. It's, you if you know. ask me what I thought of a certain person, I will not be able to tell you because none of the characters have names. I oh applaud all the efforts of the team because um, everyone who worked on it and everyone who acted in it, yeah. I just think... I'm very inexperienced with experimental. Experimental is not my native train of thought. Yeah. And so I'm always trying to find a reason or a narrative yeah. or a plot because I'm type A. Yeah. I always thought I always thought it was really funny because I'm a I always call myself a Broadway baby because I like Broadway shows and it's only very recently I've even been seeing regional theater. Um, so I always I th I, th I was like I came into this project with an open mind. Definitely, but um, I was I was worried about myself that I wasn't going to give it enough of a shot. Um, but I love I love this piece. I was going to say know? between the three of us right here, you're the most abstract thinker. I would say. I thought and that is that is so interesting to me. So I am also working currently. I'm working a job at the Arden Theater where I'm their props. I help with props right now, um, and also set construction. Um, and somebody the other day was like, Kelly, you're like so technical. And I'm like, hmm. in what world? Like, because in architecture, I was the most abstract student. You were the student. most abstract yeah. student. Which yeah. is mm -hmm. so interesting, because now I am the, actually the most technical person in the that's, theater world. Now that's interesting to hear. Which is <laughs> really funny. I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting, because I <laughs> I totally know what my normal train of thought is. I'm very linear, progressive, like, get this done, figure yeah. it out. Make a reason. Yeah. Like, what is the reason? Well, I think you and Kevin are very similar yeah. that mm -hmm. way. Which yeah. is why I uh, really enjoy that you're both on this podcast together. Mm -hmm. I was thinking of bringing Kevin on with Ross, but then Ross and Sarah also wanted to talk about it. Um, and Ross admitted that he 
didn't really know how to talk about this show. So he will mm-hmm. actually, he's going to, it's going to be interesting. He's going to go to Ragtime, and then we're going to talk about the two shows, okay. and also Ragtime. I don't know how I'm talking about it, because he and I stood out outside after the performance waiting for Kelly to come out from, you know, cleaning up or whatever, um, for about 20 minutes, and we, we, it was one of those moments where we both just stood there and looked at each other, and one of us started talking, but then didn't know how to finish. Yeah. So it was just like, but then, what about... And then by the time Kelly came out, we still hadn't managed to no. get a single sentence of anything. There's no conclusion to be drawn from this show. And then and then, then we asked Kelly point blank. We're like, so what was the plot? And she was like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think especially for people that like to be driven by some sort of definitive rationale behind things, mm-hmm. I definitely recommend going to experimental shows period like Maybe not, like, making it your go-to show, but seeing it just to, like, draw your own conclusions about it. And especially what's nice is we've been able to come together and discuss our different ideas on it and, like, just kind of collect our thoughts of what is this, what did this mean to us. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that because as much as I, I, I know I'm not an abstract thinker in that sense, I appreciate the dialogue that is drawn from it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think that I wish kind of that that was something that I don't know who would have loved. Like show. I wish we had, we we would have had talkbacks. Like I know a lot of shows sometimes after, not like what what you did. What you did is we went to a panel basically. Mm-hmm. It was before the show, and Mimi was there, and a few other people was there. I would have liked to do a ta- a talkback with the audience yeah. for a few shows. Because it's just, I mean, it's so interesting. But then again, like people, like they sometimes just they just can't wrap their head around it. Like, the podcast that I was talking about in the Q&A is people, it wasn't just that lady. Everybody asked the same exact question. It was the form of, was this one thing that I saw, was it this specific idea about the show that I had? So, like, this, this, of the the girl who had the plunger in her belly, was that her recharging? Every question was that form, and for every answer, Dan had to go, it's whatever you think it, it should have been. Another guy was like, did you get, did you get your, uh, he was like, he was like, is it Chernobyl? Like, did you have a thought of Chernobyl while you were uh, doing it? Which is the HBO series. It's a fantastic series. It's mortifying, but fantastic. Yeah. And they basically was like, they were like, is it that? Like, did you, you know? And he was like, he's like, it's whatever you think. If you compare it to Chernobyl, that's great. I I am interested in hearing your thoughts, but we did not in mind do it with thought of Chernobyl. I get the whole it is what you make of it thing, uh-huh. but there's also a very unsatisfying element <laughs> in the answer. And yeah. like, part of it is probably like, I'm the creator, and so I want it to be mysterious, or I'm the, well, both creator and director, yeah. Mimi and Dan, um, and I want it to be mysterious and, 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 you know, in the eye of the beholder and all that. Uh-huh. But there's also a part of that that's very unsatisfying. Yeah. But again, that's... I'm like Aaron in that. That's I, the type A. In it, us. It, it, right. We we're very <laughs> logical, and so when yeah. we can't say X happened because Y, or Y happened because it means Z, then it's 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 a little um, sort of frustrating. But I mean, overall, I I I enjoyed it. It was definitely um, new, a new type of of theater. Um, for me, and I, I'm still, you know, there are still obviously things that I'm questioning or, or sort of trying to figure out um, about right. about what happened and how I feel about it. But, but I mean, overall, it was 
it was definitely an, um, an interesting experience yeah. and I'm glad that I went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm um, actually Aaron, Aaron was expressed interest about this from very early on. Um, and Kevin actually like fully surprised me by coming. I was so surprised that you came because we hadn't talked for a year. Yeah, we. It <laughs> you basically been, just came to the show. It had been a while, so yeah. I I had no idea that Kelly was working on this show. I knew she was working on a show, did not know it was this one. Um, and uh, one of my coworkers had been with his girlfriends, and he recommended it to me, and so I said, "Sure, I'll go." And I came down, had no idea Kelly was working, um, had worked on it, was working on it, and she popped out before the show, and I looked across the room, and I said, oh, my God, that's Kelly. Oh, and I didn't then, know that. I thought you I thought you saw Aaron's post and knew that I worked on it. No, no. I, I, had no, I knew you were working on a show, but I didn't put two oh. together. And then Kelly said, oh, well, Ross and Sarah are coming. And sure enough, as she said that, Ross and Sarah showed up. So it was sort of an impromptu reunion. Um, Serendipitous. Yeah. But, the, but yeah. I mean, it actually made it. Um, I had literally no preconceived notions except the description and that my coworker had, had seen it. Um, and I didn't even know that Kelly had worked on it. So so I went in pretty much completely blind. Yeah. yeah. And Aaron also went in blind. Prior to um, the show. I don't think I told you anything about it, right? Not really. I only And went... I also refused to tell my parents anything about it yeah, as well. I, I only came You did in... tell me that you warned them about nudity though. I did warn them about nudity. You yes. did not warn me about that. But I didn't I'm, think you needed to be no. warned. I'm just like, okay, nude lady. Like, my parents need to be warned. Like, the rest of my family <laughs> needs to be warned. A little bit. No. Yeah. Well, I I know you mentioned working on it, but I only really had background based off of what was available off the website. Mm-hmm. And then what I wound up... Thankfully, your, your parents really didn't reveal anything to me during... Like the conversation we had while you were prepping backstage. Yeah. So a little they, a little context. Sorry, Aaron. A little context right. to what Aaron is talking about is there was a panel that Aaron that Aaron went to that um, was only before was before her specific show. Um, Aaron saw it opening weekend. So Aaron saw it on Saturday. And then when did you see it, Kevin? I saw it the. You saw it. It was a Friday, and I he, Kevin saw it the it. following Friday. I so they it saw the, it at opposite ends. I think it was the thirteenth. I saw it. Yeah, you yeah. saw it. Mm-hmm. You didn't see it with my parents. My parents didn't see it. Afterward. No, but they. My, pa- my dad was prior. very. My dad was very active into understanding the show. He's still like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted to go see, consume every piece of media that this thing put out. So there were two things that they did. They had a panel discussion. They had to. They had a podcast recording, and he went to both of them. Um, but uh, yeah, so Aaron was nice enough to come to the to the panel specifically. Yeah. So I got to participate, or not participate, I got to listen in on that panel and get some sort of semblance into, like, what pieces were going on in terms of, like, what topics were being discussed in the show, what Mimi's, like, not necessarily motivations were, but what her initial thought process was. Because she mentioned driving driving through the New Jersey Turnpike and passing this, like, oil refinery between New York and Philadelphia. Oh, you mean, like, literally every <laughs> every exit in North Jersey? Yeah. Yes. And, and she was talking about this sense of awe and, like, despair. Yes. And our, that that's what I mostly remember getting out of that panel. And then prior to the show starting, I talked with your parents beforehand, and they... Fr- and. I appreciate that they didn't really spoil anything, but I remember yeah. your your dad was like, I don't know what to think of it. I don't know anything. Yeah, that's, that's I pretty mean, that's much my dad. what my coworker said, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that the one the really nice thing about the show is that, um, and we could, I mean, I could talk about experimental theater forever, um, and it's, you know, you could argue, I know that there are a lot of people who would argue that, like, there's no point to it, and but with a, a, a piece of experimental theater that has this large of a, of a budget is highly uncommon. Well, um, and it's just, it's a, it's a show that is, 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 you will never be bored. You might not get it, but you won't be bored. Although you were bored mm-hmm. by the first one. I think. Well, after the first three minutes yeah, of the yeah. same thing. I think thing. what's integral to to experimental theater is communicating with people after, because the whole yeah. thing is individual perceptions and views of it. Yeah. And that way, like, if you just go to an experimental theater show and never discuss with anybody what your thoughts are, I feel like you're. Yeah, sort of missing out on the experience of yeah. like of analysis with people. I'm actually glad that I ran in that well that I ran into Kelly and then mm-hmm. that Ross and Sarah came because we all were able to. I mean, we didn't it didn't help us understand <laughs> much, but we were all able to at least share our collective what the hell yeah. after after the show. Yeah, and then my my coworker on Monday morning sent me an email and said, "So what'd you think?" <laughs> yeah. Are you guys? Do you guys have anything else that you like want to talk about, or you I, want to know about? I think we've I think we've reached kind of like a little yeah. a breaking point. But I also, you know, I want to open up the floor to anything else that you guys want to say about it because it's I really enjoy hearing your opinions on this piece. Mm-hmm. I really wish I wasn't sick right now, but um, it's 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 really good to hear your thoughts, and I'm very excited to hear. Um, I'm very excited for you two to hear, but not just this podcast, but the next podcast. I think it's really important that people go see shows that are out of their comfort range because I think it it helps, especially if you go see an experimental show and then discuss with other people things. It really does allow a conversation to be made and it sees yeah. how people's different thought processes are made and being a type A person. Yeah, I think it's especially important for people who look for conclusions, who look for rationale, who look for logic and points and reason to go see these shows Mm -hmm. because there's that what if that will not be answered and it will irritate us to the end of our lives. It It will irritate us to the ends of our lives, but I think it's necessary. Yeah. And I think it's good to see that. Uh Yeah. Even, Even if I only see like two more experimental shows for the rest of my life, yeah. I'm glad I got to experience it. So my question is, do they really also have wrestling in that same venue? And yes, they do. <laughs> how yes. did that work with? So it's so it's uh, the venue is 2300 Arena, and it's mainly a wrestling venue. We are the first theater company to come in and use it as a theater, and it works um, for the set yeah. though. So did you know did that the guy rest- who manages that space is a photog- is a photographer teacher at Philly U? Oh, slash Jefferson. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. We were um, talking about Phil you. So, um, so it is a wrestling that, How did that work? Mimi um, liked uh, the area. I was going to say she, she also probably, I mean, that venue was probably down for anything. They're just normally wrestling. No, I meant but, like, how did that work with the set being up for however many weeks and them having to do wrestling matches? Uh, we booked it for those um, we booked it for those eight so, I mean, so it wasn't like half an hour after we all left they no, were just gonna like move match. the sets into no, the no, corner no, no. we and booked it for, all, for it. we booked it for eight weeks because that was that was a question yeah. Ross had too he was like so uh, should we come back in half an hour and watch wrestling yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no it was, it was booked no, I thought solid was because really all of the sets had to be there and there was no way 
They were even doing some small construction things on, on site, so they couldn't do that. We had, like, a small workshop in the back. You know, I did think that was a good venue though, because the floor was concrete. It was very yeah. structural at the top. Yeah. It, it was industrial. Mimi scoped yeah. out a lot right. of locations and, and South Philly, which yes. is which is the most industrial and warehouse district. One of the most industrial. Parts and I seventy six was like directly above everybody. When you're walking to the place, it's like oh yes, yeah. I kind of wish they made everybody enter actually from the back because in the back is literally directly under a highway. Yeah, exactly. Really it cool gave thing. you already that sense yeah. of I am small. Which is actually something that, um, and I'm going to bring up uh, Mimi's uh, other work, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet, um, is something that she did for that show. Um, neither of you really know what that show is, nope. but of course they know what it is through me, because all I do is is talk about that show. It's based um, off of War and Peace, correct? It's based off of War and Peace. Yeah. Um, and in the beginning, and what, what another thing that Mimi did that wasn't just, you know, the whole thing that she did with the actual set of it, she turned the lobby area of the Imperial Theater into a bunker, hmm. into a Russian bunker. And there were, it was gray walls and like little, like, it was, it, it looked like a, the underground, it looked like you were about to basically enter like an underground club. Yeah. And it was renovated to the point where even the box office and the inside were renovated. Okay. So that it didn't look like a, a traditional Broadway house. And I thought that she was going to do something similar like that for Superterranean. Well, 2300 is already sort of raw and industrial yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's true. It's all concrete floors in the lobby. Yeah. It's um, metal pipe railings. Yeah. Um, it's subway, literal subway tile in the bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very... And yeah. I think it's interesting, though, because I personally love industrial style. Yeah. But... When it was imposed in the setting for the show, it totally just made me uncomfortable. Well, I think that was probably the point. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I need an industrial loft. That is my dream yeah. residence. And I will attribute a lot of the uncomfortableness to um, Barbara Samuels, who did the lighting. Yeah. Um, and I Blind. mean, there is a lot of work that goes into making something look uh, really uncomfortable, um, especially with lighting. Um, and all of the materials that were in the space, being behind the scenes, you really start to appreciate every single person oh, sure. that does work in in the show. The trial and error, and the this, the the adapt the the um, how uh, flexible both Barbara and Leah specifically had to be, and even the costume designer Oliveira had to be. Um, with like some of the demands that were coming out from like Mimi and Dan of like oh how will we try this how will we try this how will we try this, um, it was you know it's a it's a very to borrow a word it's a rigorous process, so I really appreciated that yeah. about about it but I'm, that's you know I'm glad you got to be a part of it, that was nice yeah I really liked being a part of it yeah um, but so that's um, so I guess that's it for that for part one. I can't wait to rejoin uh, with two more people to talk about this. Um, experimental theater, as I've mentioned before, is not my normal gig. And I really uh, I really want to go see more experimental theater, but it'll probably be a while before uh, I take, like, the amount of people who came to see this will see something else that I do um, that is experimental. Is there anything either of you would like to say about last words, last words before we sign off? our audience thanks for having us yeah thanks for having us go see things out of your comfort zone do you guys have any social medias you want to plug kevin will think about it and then get back to me i'm good 
That was good. I'll just use my Instagram again. It's my name. Yeah. Aaron Erfer at Aaron Erfer on Instagram. Yeah. And I will link them both. If Kevin thinks of something, maybe I'll put his website down. You can look at his stuff. His architecture work. Um, mine's ad hoc. So whatever. <laughs> Do with it. Do with it what you will. All right. Um, thank you all for coming. I can't wait to see you in the next uh, podcast. I want to thank my guests for dealing with uh, not just this, uh, what is currently hour and 45 minute podcast, but also you're not editing it. So, uh, ah. but also, uh, for dealing with me while I'm sick, because this podcast will probably be 15 minutes shorter because we took a lot of breaks for me to sneeze and or blow my nose and all that fun and stuff. And we're all taking zinc um, tablets. Yeah. And I want to thank Erin for hosting me. Uh, and us. she now has to, cl- well, ho- yeah, hosting us, and, hey, but you. specifically, specifically me, <laughs> because I had to sleep over, um, and Erin now has to clean her entire house. Thank you. Thank you to everybody for listening. I hope that this has opened your mind on Experimental Theater. I hope I can convince you um, to any of the cast who, if any of you are listening uh, to this podcast, just know that you've, you've made me uh, a better person and a more flexible theater goer. Um, and I can't wait to either work or see you guys in the future. I know I'm going to Salary's show tonight. Let me die. So um, that, I can't that's, wait to that wasn't a statement. That was the name of the show. That's the name of the show. Yeah. Let me die. <laughs> Not like, oh, God, I got to go see this lady's show. Let me die. <laughs> but um, so I just want to thank you all for listening. And we'll be back. We'll be back soon. Thank you. Bye. Peace Bye. Out. Bye. Bye.